You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. everyone and welcome to another edition of big time baseball players edition on radio.com sports alongside tony gwynn jr i am ben davis give you a little bit of background about myself i spent parts of seven seasons in the big leagues with the san diego padres seattle mariners and chicago white Sox. i currently do the color for nbc sports philadelphia for the phillies uh in the television booth and uh loving every minute of it never played for the phillies However, this is the team I grew up, grew up rooting for, and uh, nothing enjoy nothing more than than getting to, to cheer for my hometown team and get to see what I see out on the field. So, uh, Tony, tell us a little about yourself. I'm very much in the same boat, Ben. Uh, played eight seasons in the big leagues for the Brewers, Padres, Dodgers, and Phillies. Um, I transitioned into the broadcasting game in 2016, and. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I played. I did. Spent one year up in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Actually, Dave Roberts' first year, and then uh, I, I came down to San Diego the last three years. And I'm getting to also cover my my hometown team and get to cheer for them all at the same time. So, uh, truly, been a blessing to to be able to do this. And you and I go way back, bro. I mean, I yes, was, we do. I, I was just, I was a 16 year old kid running around the. Qualcomm uh, with you know following my dad around and you were a rookie at that time yeah yeah so we've known each other for quite a, quite a while it just seems like yesterday though doesn't it it's hard to believe <laughs> I wish it seemed like yesterday <laughs> <laughs> yeah we get out of bed in the morning it doesn't feel like yesterday it's like oh that hurts so that hurts uh, big time baseball players edition is a part of radio.com which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free anytime anywhere listen to over 300 stations and over 1100 podcasts Explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Well, Tony, we got a big show lined up uh, for the listeners today, and we might as well just start with the, the American League Central. This is a race that I think it's going to go down to the wire, as most races are, I think, in Major League Baseball. But this one in particular, can the Twins keep up their offense and can the Indians keep up their offense to go along with just some good starting pitching that's going to get back in their rotation. I mean, listen, at one point, the Twins had an 11-game lead, and that has quickly diminished uh, to a half a game. And at one point, Cleveland, this one point last week, Cleveland actually took over first place. So, um, and it's interesting because Cleveland's actually getting healthier to get more bodies uh, with their pitching staff. 
And I'm not 100% sure uh, that Minnesota's going to be able to hold these guys off. All of a sudden, Jose Ramirez is getting hot. Uh, Fran Reyes, who came over from the Padres to Cleveland these last few days, he started to swing the bat. So they seem to be getting hot. And it's not that Minnesota isn't, but you lose a guy like Nelson Cruz, who at one point was the hottest player on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, hitting home runs seemingly every other every day, maybe hitting two or three a day uh, in some cases. He's hurt now, and I think that's a huge loss uh, going down the stretch for the Twins. So uh, I, I, I like with Cleveland getting healthier with their pitching staff, I like their pitching staff better. Uh, there was that with Nelson Cruz in the lineup, I might like Minnesota's offense better, but he's not in the lineup right now, Ben. No, he's not, and that's a huge loss. I know we, we touched on him last week. Uh, and what he's been able to do. But, my gosh, he's been unbelievable. And on a sidebar to Cleveland, you're thinking, what are they doing? Do they want to make a run at this American League Central? How are they getting rid of Trevor Bauer? Boy, it seems like they've made the right decision. He just got absolutely lit up by the Nationals yesterday. I know the Nats have a really good lineup. But I did not see this coming. It's just like he's just laying pitches in there, and other teams are just killing him right now. You know what? Is it, 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 it seems like it's an addition by subtraction, right? It clearly... His personality was having an effect just based on what we what the comments t- uh, Terry Francona made after he was moved away. Uh, it seemed like there were some some personality issues in that clubhouse, and this might be one of those addition by subtraction. And 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 it's looking really good for for Cleveland to move a guy like that. You bring in Yasiel Puig, who by the way has been really good for him since he's been there. Uh, you bring in a guy like that. And you, you, you ship out a, a guy uh, like Bauer, and then in a, in a start, like you mentioned, Nationals were all over his head last night. So uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it doesn't look right on paper when that trade happens, but as it plays out, it's clearly making sense right now. Yeah, and, and it's it's something that I think that uh, they made the right decision, and, and we'll see how that moves on. He still has the stuff. It's just, you no, know, no I think there's there's some personality conflicts there, like you were saying. I, you know, uh, and speaking of personalities, I know it, it takes different different strokes for different folks. And moving to the to the American League East, you have the, the Yankees who are just about as as good as anybody with that lineup. But I want to talk about the Rays and one case in particular, Ryan Yarbrough. He, last week, his last start, he's got 99 pitches. He's through eight and two-thirds. And Cash comes out and pulls him. Mm. He pulls him out of the ballgame. And this is something that, you know, it you said, my oh, heart. it did, right? I mean, the, the, the Rays are not going to catch the Yankees. They're not going to. I'm sorry. They're just not. And, and you know, they're ahead of the, the Red Sox. The bottom line is they're a couple games up in, in the wild card. They're most likely going to make that wild card and, and get into the playoffs. And no, no one saw this coming. I think it's great that the Rays do it. You know, they, they mix and match, and they, they're able to, to find players that just fit their system, and they win, right? We've seen them do it for years. But how do you not let this guy, not many guys, first of all, throw a complete game anymore. That's just a lost art. Um, but how do you not let him try and finish? There was nobody on base. Say a guy, whoever comes up, he hits a home run. Say they tie the ball game. So what? You go to extra innings. But let the man finish the game. I mean, one out of way. I mean, like I said, it pained my heart to watch Yarborough be taken out like that. And, you know, I just watched the Rays, actually, the last three games. They played. They just took two or three from the Padres. So I, I actually covered the games. And what I came away thinking was 
they just do things differently. You know, they got the opener, right? And and he comes out after the second inning, and they use a pinch hitter. Do they use an actual pinch hitter? No. They use a starting pitcher from their rotation to pinch hit. And I'm thinking to myself, and they're down two nothing, or they're up two nothing at the time. But I'm like, I get it. You don't want to burn your guy, but you have one extra uh, position, one extra position player on your bench. I don't think it would be a bad idea to go with a position player. But they elect to use the pitcher. They went two or three, and you look at their record, seventy-one and fifty-one. It's hard to argue against the things that they're doing now, specifically as it pertains uh, to to Ryan Yarbrough. I. I I, that was mind blowing to me. Like it's one thing to be seven, uh, you know, six outs away from a complete game. Uh, I remember a few years back, Dave Roberts uh, pulled a pitcher who was had a no hitter into the seventh. But that's a little bit different than ninety nine pitches in the ninth. I mean, you've been pretty efficient if you get to the ninth inning and there's one out and and you and you only have ninety nine pitches. Right. I, I don't. I don't see how. I don't see what the logic is in not letting him have that last batter, right? Now, it, it, you could argue that, okay, he goes to that last batter, the guy has a 12, 13 pitch at bat, but how unlikely is that? You know what I'm saying? In today's game, you see those every once in a while, but I, I, I just I would I would have had a hard time pulling the kid. You Like you yeah. said, there's just not too many complete games going on at all in the league. There's not too many dudes going seven in no. the league that are starting pitchers. So the fact that he was able to get that far in 99 pitches, I would have thought he deserved a chance to finish. Them. Yeah, Kevin Cash came out, and he he you know, he, he tried to justify it, and it, it, I guess you can look at it and say, well, it does make sense, but I don't know. I guess that's just the old school. I mean, I, I don't think I'm that old school, but I think it's just, hey, man, you busted your tail for eight and two-thirds. I think I owe it to you. As your manager, I owe it to you to let, allow you to go out and get that complete game. Now, and now we, I, w- I will say this, Ben. After watching them the last three games, it's not like they don't have the arms coming out of the bullpen. But true. to your point, let the man finish. He worked his butt off to get that far. Yeah, I mean, look what happened with Steven Matz yesterday with the Mets. I mean, we know the Mets have been on a tear lately. Um, but Mickey Calloway goes out and gets Steven Matz yesterday against your in, you know, National League East rival, Atlanta Braves. And then all of a sudden, that Mets bullpen just implodes. Yeah. yeah, we know about the five starters that the, that the Mets have, and they have been phenomenal. We get it. But their weak link right now is that bullpen. So Mickey Calloway goes out and gets Matz. Yanks him out of the bullpen, and the bullpen implodes. Yeah, absolutely yeah. implodes. It, it, it's a little bit of fool's gold, right? Because we talked about it last week, how since the All-Star break, that bullpen has been good. But prior to that, they had been horrible. I think on the flip side, the starters, although they weren't necessarily great early, they had a lot of more, you know, they had injuries and different things kind of taking place. Bullpen's been fairly healthy all year long. They just haven't been good. So maybe... They got fooled by that short sample size after the break of how well the the the, the bullpen had pitched. But you're, the strongest suit on that team, in my opinion, is the starting rotation. So, again, we, we talk about it. I know Matt has had some injury issues. You may be trying to be careful there, but you're in a pennant race. Uh, uh, not, not necessarily a pennant race because I don't know if you're not going to really catch anybody in the East, but you're in a wild card race at the very right. at the very least. And, and I think you got to err – on the side of keeping your starter in a little bit longer and trying to get as much out of him as you can. 
Yeah, and that's why they, they've, they've been making this run. I know their offense has come alive a little bit, but they're going to – I don't know if they have what they what it takes. Their, their schedule was a little soft, and now losing Jeff McNeil, who is you know leading the National League in hitting. Uh, he has been a mainstay, but comes up a little limp yesterday with a, with a hamstring pull. So how much do you think that's going to affect them, especially the top of the lineup? It's, it's, I mean, he's he's top three hitter in the league. It's definitely going to affect him. I mean, he's the top five guys in that lineup have been the really the horses that have you know stirred this this offense and, and gotten this team going in the right direction. You remove that top component, which is the component of starting the offense and getting on base. I think it's going to make a huge difference. You made a you made the point of talking about their schedule. They got Atlanta now for today. They got Kansas City for three, and then they're followed by. Cleveland for three, Atlanta for three, Chicago for three, Philly for four, Washington for three. So their schedule is just going to keep getting more difficult, at least until they get through that first week of September. So they got a long ways to go. And depending on how long McNeil is out, they'll be losing the the, the guy that's really been the, the starter for their offense. And that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's going to be a huge deal. And they got Pete Alonso. Uh, obviously he's been carrying that team offensively and you know it's even more pressure is going to be put upon the rookie and I think if there's a guy that can handle that pressure it is definitely Peter Alonzo uh, yeah. you look at you, he most likely going to get that National League Rookie of the Year award but you have someone like Fernando Tatis Jr. who is making a strong run I know we touched on that uh, in weeks past but uh, he's back healthy playing again and lo and behold he ends up on the IL again now with a back strain so the worst thing you can be uh, the label that can be placed on a young player is he's injury prone I know he plays very hard he plays a very tough position he's diving all over the place and he swings uh, he takes a healthy hack but you think this is a label that might stick with the young uh, shortstop for the Padres not yet, at least. I don't. I think, and, and uh, in regards to the, the rookie of the year race, I think there'd be a lot of people prior to him going on a DL that would say Fernando Tatis Jr. had taken over the lead for that uh, rookie of the year because he's actually qualified for all of the league leaders. You know, it's easy to keep a guy out of the, the rookie of the year conversation when he's not qualified. You don't see his names on the leaderboard, but as of, as of two days, three days ago, he had been been had qualified for the batting average and all the league leaders, and now all of a sudden you start seeing his name. And even though he's in San Diego, uh, that's a big deal. When when people open up their papers or they look into their phone and they're looking at league leaders, and you see a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. dominating most of those those categories, it kind of changes his perspective. But with him going on the the 10-day IL, that changes things again. Remember. Uh, he just qualified, so his names are probably going to fall right back out uh, of the leaderboards again, and it'll take a little bit of some games for him to come back, and that's assuming he comes back from the 10-day IL with the minimum amount of time. So uh, I, I certainly don't think at this point uh, you could that 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 tag is going to hold. But I will say this: if you watch him play every day, and you watch how hard he plays every day, and you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Bryce Harper when he first came into the league, mm-hmm. like running in the walls, just full tilt. And you love that about the guy, but there's got to be a certain amount of caution for every player that goes, especially when you're playing that hard, because if you don't have that caution, you can find yourself on the IL quite often, and and that's a place you don't want to be. 
No, you don't. I mean, you go to the field to put that uniform on and play. But one thing that, that I, I have noticed with Tatis Jr., and you have some guys that play with seemingly reckless abandon, like a Yasiel Puig, yes. and some guys that just play hard. But I think Tatis has that intangible where he, he plays hard, but he still keeps his body under control. There was a play that he made, and it's, it's, it's the smallest little thing, but it's something that I noticed. There was a play to his right. So in the 5.5 hole, as your dad lovingly called it, in between short and third base. But he was ranging to his right. He's a full-out dive. He backhands the ball. He gets up. And instead of rushing to get the throw off the first base, he knew who was running. He actually had time, and, and everyone knows if you play night games in San Diego, the grass tends to get a little damp. Yes. So he had the wherewithal and the presence, the field presence, to wipe his hand off as he's getting back to his feet, <laughs> wipes his yeah. right hand off, and then gets the ball and throws across the diamond. That's, that's, it's just like no panic, and you don't really see a lot of young players have that. They're like, oh, i got to get up and fire it across the diamond. Yeah. No, he had that field presence. And that's something that's that's just an intangible. It can't be taught to have that in your mind. You know what? My hand might be a little wet. Let me wipe that off. But it's all in one motion, fluid motion, and he threw a rocket across the diamond. Yeah, I mean, that's that's I, I've, I've absolutely run out of adjectives to describe Fernando Tatis Jr. at this point. Those are the little things that most people don't see, Ben. I mean, you played the game, so that's something that you would notice. But to think about diving, and, and this is all within the, 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 the scheme of the play, right? The ball's mm -hmm. hit, he dives to, to his right, has the presence of mind as he's getting up to wipe his hand and still get the throw off. It's just among some of the amazing things that he's done all season long. The Padres certainly hope he gets back, but I also think they'll be cautious with him, as they've been cautious with a lot of their, their young pitchers and, and rookies this year. They know that he's the future. He this yeah. dude is this dude is a potential MVP type player, and you got to have him out on the field. So I'm sure the Padres, although the rookie of the year might be important to Tatis Jr., uh, I think this team is his long term health is going to take precedent over that. Absolutely, and, and talking about some other guys that that have ended up on the IL, you have Jake Arrieta, Max Scherzer, uh, Garrett Cole with the with the Astros. These are some big time names. I yeah. I, I wouldn't say maybe Arrieta as much because. He's got that bone spur in his, in, his, in his elbow. He has not been as sharp as he would like to be or as the Phillies would like him to be. But two guys, Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer, you have two teams. Obviously, the Astros are running away with it in the American League West, but they desperately need him. I know they got Granke. They still have Verlander. But this is the, your, your number one on any other team in baseball other than the Astros. But this is a guy I think that, hey, listen, if this is a hamstring um, and – Hey, we know how hamstrings can linger. Yes. This could really affect the Astros and their push to, to win another title. Ben, there's, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I read Garrett Cole's comment saying it wasn't serious. Everybody says that when they have a hamstring. It's, oh, it's not serious. And then all of a sudden you miss a week. You miss two weeks. You miss three weeks. Fernando Tatis Jr. said the same exact thing. He mm -hmm. missed six weeks before he came back. And the Astros, for as good as this ball club is, they cannot go as far without a guy like Garrett Cole. It's one no. thing to have Verlander and Grinky, but the thing that was propelling, make in every at least in everybody's mind, the thing that was propelling them to the World Series already was the fact that they had a Grinky, they had a Cole, and they had a Verlander. You remove one of those guys, or even if Cole isn't can't get back close to 100 percent, I think that's going to be a problem for them, especially getting out of the American League, where we know the Yankees' offense is 
as good as anybody's offense in all of baseball. We know Cleveland is coming on. We know Minnesota is a team that's probably going to be there in the end. So uh, there are so many issues with those type of injuries. We talked about Cole. Scherzer's another one. Now, Scherzer Mm -hmm. says he's getting close to being back out on the field again uh, in terms of dealing with that lower back. But, again, this team is at the top of the uh, wild card right now. They have it by two games right now. So, I just look at those two injuries as as possibly being the biggest stories going down the stretch because you can't the Nationals certainly can't afford to lose a guy like no. Scherzer and I know Strauss has pitched lights out this year but they can't afford to lose a guy like Scherzer going down the stretch and the same I think the Astros are a little better equipped to handle Cole but as far as the World Series is concerned I don't see them getting there without a guy like Cole being healthy. No, because in the playoffs you need. Power. I'm yes. sorry. You can get some guys that thumb thumb curveballs and change up the there. Same. It doesn't work in the playoffs. I'm no. sorry. So if you can to combat a lineup like the Yankees, you need power. And what does Garrett Cole have? He's got power. He's got ability to flat out miss a bat. He's got a, a, the ability to just dial it up a notch or two and and throw triple digits. You know what? I'm sitting at 95, 96. But if I need it, I'll reach back and get a hundred. And that's yeah. something that Garrett Cole can do. You need that. That's what plays in the playoffs. You know and what? They're going to need it. You know, when I came to that conclusion, I remember watching how how Maddox used to carve guys up in the it, all through the regular season, and then come the postseason, he would still have success, but it wasn't the same type of success that he was having during the regular season. And it came to it dawned on me that he was one of the only guys at the time that you know wasn't a power arm. And in the playoffs. I don't know if it's because the focus gets heightened offensively. I mean, the focus gets heightened all the way around in the playoffs. But it just seems like power arms have a larger margin for margin for error in the playoffs than the guys who who are who are, are spotting the ball with with less velocity. You know, maybe maybe Maddox just wasn't getting seven inches off the plate in the playoffs. Maybe that, <laughs> that was it. That that might be it too, because God knows he got seven or eight. Him and Clive got that much. Yeah, that's exactly what they needed. Uh, staying in the in the NL East, uh, some big changes that were made, and and we just saw it here in Philadelphia. But uh, John Manley was relieved of his duties as hitting coach. Uh, the players, which was it was nice to I think if you're John Manley, obviously no one wants anybody to get fired, but right. um, I think if you're John Manley, you could take some solace in the fact that his players. You know, Bryce Harper, JT Romuto, and Reese Hoskins, to name three, said, you know what? This wasn't John Maley's fault. This was our fault. This is, we we let him down. There was nobody more prepared than John Maley. Uh, there was nobody that gave us more information, useful information than John Maley. They just said, you know what? We didn't get it done offensively. The Phillies decided that they would relieve John Maley of his duties and bring back Chuck. Charlie Manuel is back. In the dugout, and it, last night was his first game. And just seeing him down there out for the national anthem in full uniform, it was like, whoa! This, like this is, you know, obviously the the winningest manager in Phillies franchise history. Um, I told a story uh, yesterday about in spring training, Charlie's always hanging on the cage, uh, yep. watching watching the groups hit. And I told him yesterday, I said, you know what, Charlie? In spring training, I come out every day and I hang on the cage. 25% of it is to watch the hitters. 75% of it is to listen to you talk <laughs> about hitting. And that's, that's Tony, that's not a joke. It's that not. is, this dude loves hitting. He loves everything about it. He loves talking about it. He loves preaching. He loves breaking down swings. I think he's going to be great for the Phillies. 
I don't know. I spent one year in Philly, and I can't think of any conversation that I was a part of or that I heard Charlie a part of uh, that didn't include hitting. I don't know that he talked about anything other <laughs> than hitting. And you're right. Spring training, that guy is around the cage all the time. And that's what I was telling some of the folks out here because, you know, you know, people like to crack jokes. Charlie's a, a little uh, an elder statesman in this game. Uh, as well as the Mets pitching coach, I, I can't his name his name slips me right now. But they are two of the oldest coaches in the league, and people like to you know make make light of that. But I'm like at the end of the day, those guys in Philly are probably used to him because he's around literally almost every day. He he's around those guys, so it's not like they're just bringing in an old guy, an older coach that coached back in the day for the World Series Phillies. It's not like that, like. He's around. He has relationships with those guys, and I, I would say that his opening uh, his opening act looked pretty good. But you know, to back to Mally, I, I think that's kind of that's kind of how uh, hitting coaches get done in this league. It, it, they yeah. always get the short end of the stick. Uh, it's always going to boil boil down to the players being productive, and if they aren't productive, unfortunately, usually the scapegoat in that is the first guy on that list is usually the hitting coach. Unfortunately. Yeah, you got to point the finger at somebody. And, uh, you know, they put up an 11 spot against Cole Hamels and the Cubs last night. Uh, watching. That was a great welcome for Cole Hamels, right? Yeah, right. You got a standing <laughs> ovation. And it, it just didn't go particularly well for him last night. He, just, he was missing in the middle of the plate. And you know, when you're throwing 90 91, you can't do it. But uh, one guy that, that took advantage of that was Bryce Harper. And this yes. is a guy that the Phillies obviously paid $330 million for. And can the Phillies ride him? He's the guy that. You know, he can go and hit 12 home runs in a month. We've yes. seen him do it. Uh, he's been really hot. He's hit uh, multiple home run games this past week, one in San Francisco, again last night here in Philly. So he's a guy that the Phillies are leaning on. And, you know, he's, he's, he's been – Gabe Kapler's moved him around in the lineup. He said he's most comfortable in the three-hole. That's where he was last night. Uh, we saw him lead off this this year. But I think that three-hole, if – he went to a toe tot last yeah, night. Yeah, I saw Tony. that last night. And it, he's – I don't know. It looked it looked like it was working to me. I, I was I was gonna say. I mean, this is this is his third like I don't want to say major change to his swing, but certainly it's a it's a different setup. He's gone through a few of them this year, but I noticed the toe tap. If that's the first day he pulled it out, it looks like he was in pretty good rhythm. But it doesn't really surprise me because I saw him last year come here to San Diego, hit two bullet four bullets and make outs. And then I saw him come out for early BP the next day. He took about four rounds left-handed, and then he went to the right-handed side and started hitting balls out right-handed. So it's not that surprising that he can make an adjustment like a toe-tap because you and I both know a toe-tap, a change of a toe-tap is like an off-season move. Like you're you're not changing to a toe-tap most of the time in season because it's a difficult timing mechanism. But it didn't look very bad at all for Bryce no. Harper last night. I and for those of you wondering what a toe tap is, just think of Chipper Jones. I think he was king right. of the toe tap. Right. You know, he would kind of gather himself and then just. And what I think it really does, though, Bonds had one too, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But I just think it, it prevents your body from moving forward. Maybe Bryce thought, you know what, I'm I'm going out there, I'm chasing my stride too much, and and everything's leaking with me. Uh, so I think that toe tap really just you, you get you get your foot down a little bit earlier, and you just don't go out as far with your body. I think it just enables you to stay back. Um, but it, boy, it worked last night. And uh, if this is something that you can just uh, some hitters and we've seen Bryce do that. I've seen him in the in the National League East now uh, for seven years. 
Uh, he's a guy that changes his stance and does different things. But if you're able to do that, like literally in one day, that I mean, that's that's really something that, that you're that talented that you can special. do. Special, yeah, special, no doubt, no doubt yeah, about that, it. That's absolutely, and uh, you know, we'll see how long it can continue. Uh, some of the, the the younger guys, I think, in this game are really again we bring up the young guys and where the state of the game. And I think that this game is in such a great state right now. Um, but these are some uh, some young guys in the game. You know, you have Bellinger and Yelich, but Acuna Jr. continues to just uh, he's the heart. I, listen, I love Freddie Freeman. You talk about a consummate professional. And he, believe me, he is. He's a Philly killer, and uh, he's a National League East killer. But Freddie Freeman, I think, is, is you know, he's the elder statesman on that ball club along with Brian McCann uh, and Kurt Suzuki. But look what Acuna Jr. This guy has really got into the MVP talks to go along with Bellinger and Yelich. Acuna Jr. is a joke. He is hitting balls out of the ballpark, line to line. He's throwing dudes out from the warning track. This guy really is a 5 tool player. No, he is. He's he's a special talent. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, the state of the game. As far as the young players are concerned, this has got to be one of the best rookie classes we've seen in some time. Acuna, obviously not a rookie because he won that that accolade last year. But he's been tremendous, man. And, and when you look at his, his, his maturation, it seems like for a guy who's only in his second year of the league, you wouldn't if you didn't if you didn't look at his face you wouldn't know it by the way he plays the game he plays the game with a a, a sense of uh, he's just wise beyond his years and uh, watching him uh, I haven't watched him as much as you have been obviously because you're in you're you're in that National League East but watching him I marvel at the way he makes adjustments at the plate you might trick him once but you can't get him with the same pitch twice and uh, I think that's that's different for most young guys. Uh, on their key, but it's not just him. Guys like Albies as well uh, are, are playing well. So I mean, listen, this is why that team is ahead in that National League East race, and um, it's going to be—they're going to be tough to beat. I think you could argue that they could be the favorites. I know the Dodgers are are, are running away with the National League West, but uh, this Brave team will be a tough out should the should the Dodgers face up against them. Yeah, and, and getting those relievers in Melanson and Green, I think, uh, is only going to add to their depth. My biggest concern for the Braves is their starting pitching. Do they have enough? Um, you know, obviously they went out and got Dallas Keuchel, but I just don't know if he's enough to put him over the top. Now this offense is legit, but again, we we talked about you know power arms in the in the playoffs. If you run up against somebody, uh, you know they're just going to knock. They're going to stop that offense and. If you don't have that good starting pitching to nullify the other team's offense, you know you you might end up losing one nothing or two nothing yeah. because if you run into a buzzsaw and, and that very well could happen in the playoffs. I, I, in terms of the MVP race, though, I still have Cody Bellinger uh, at the top of that. I mean, his number, he's about he's three seventeen. He's got he's had, he's one homer away from forty, so you know he's going to get there. He's at ninety RBIs. These, I mean, at one point, him and Yelich were going neck and neck for the Triple Crown. Now, Yelich has been a little nicked up, so he hasn't been able to to really, uh, you know, keep his name in the headlines. But these guys were putting up Triple Crown-like numbers. And I think, ultimately, because they're both, you know, Acuna, Bellinger are both division leaders. They're on teams that are division leaders. You got to kind of look at the numbers, you know, Neck and or you know side by side and and it, and right now I think Cody Bellinger is still the guy uh, to beat as far as that MVP race is concerned. 
I would agree. I, Acuna Jr. is creeping up there. He's at 298 with 34 home runs, uh, 82 RBIs, but he also has 28 stolen bases. Yep. So when That's I say point. he's a five-tool player, I mean, he really is uh, beat you in a myriad of ways. But um, Before you go, I just want to mention a couple of these rookies' names that, that we haven't talked about and we don't have time to get into today, but this class is crazy. Brian Reynolds for Pittsburgh. Leading all of baseball in hitting, yeah. uh, 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 Aquino uh, uh, for for um, for the Reds, the uh, right-handed Richie Sexton is what he reminds me <laughs> of with those little T-Rex short-arm swings, but hitting the ball a ton. Uh, Alvarez in Houston. I mean, this class is as good, at least in their first year. Now you know baseball is about being able to do it year after year after year, but at least in their first years. Uh, this has got to be one of the strongest rookie classes we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, and and like I said, it's so good for the game because it's it's you have young fans that they can associate with some of this youth and they can follow these careers for years to come, and and that's that's awesome. And, you know, it's it's always nice when a guy breaks in as a rookie at at twenty eight, twenty nine years old, but you know you can follow their career for a few years. But when you have a guy that's breaking in. To the, to the big leagues at 20 years old. I mean, you have someone you can just follow forever, and it's just it's just so good for the game. Join us in a minute will be Los Angeles Dodgers skipper Dave Roberts, who this will be the second time he's joining us on Big Time Baseball Players Edition. So anytime you're able to get a, not only a great manager, but a classy human being and Dave Roberts, uh, you really are not going to find anybody better in the game than the Dodgers skipper. So look forward to having here him on in a minute. Let's bring on Dodgers manager and former Major League outfitter Dave Roberts, who spent 10 years in the majors, including a World Series victory with the Red Sox in 04. I think we all remember uh, what he was able to accomplish to help the Red Sox get their first title in quite some time. Uh, he's also played with the Indians, the Dodgers, Padres, and the Giants. Dave, how are you doing today? Tony, I'm doing great. Um, we're here getting ready for a game in a few hours uh, in Miami. Um, just came off a good performance from Clayton Kershaw, and uh, we got Walker Bueller going today. So uh, looking to uh, try to uh, win a baseball game. Uh, and we appreciate you giving us your time, especially uh, getting ready for a game here in a couple hours. Let's talk about Kershaw because uh, last night he was able to tie uh, Sandy Koufax among Dodgers wins uh, by pitchers. And just talk about the long-lasting dominance of Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I, I think that that's exactly what it is. It's long-lasting dominance. And I, I think that last year and the last couple of years, people seem to try to talk about the stuff being down. But, you know, the compete, the conviction, the preparation hasn't changed. You know, Dave, one of the things that I, I don't think people talk about enough, and maybe it's because they're not privy to being behind the scenes, but we know what Clayton Kershaw can do on the field. But talk about him as a leader uh, of this clubhouse, how he conducts himself as a teammate, because I don't think that gets talked about enough. I, I think that it's easy to look on the surface and what he does, which is obviously important, what he does on the baseball field. But, um, you know, in his, his in-between starts and how he works and how he prepares and watches video and you know, whether it's Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, or Walker Bueller, these guys watch him. Hunjin Ryu has learned, you know, that work ethic from Clayton. And just even during a game when he's not pitching, being on the bench and talking baseball, he's a student of the game. That certainly, uh, he might not be the vo most vocal leader, um, but the way he leads by example is next level. 
Now, Dave, you've you've been here though. This is, I believe, your third season uh, with the Dodgers. Um, tell me, you guys have won the division six straight years. So clearly, there's been some really good teams that have played uh, with the Dodgers. But talk a little bit about talk a little bit about where you rank this team compared to the other because from the outside looking in it it certainly looks like this team is more prepared than and granted you went to the world series the last two years this team seems more prepared than any team uh that the dodgers have had in, in the last six years part of it is that the, the i think the young players that we had um have got more experience and they're still young uh, but i think that experience for bellinger Guys like that, um, obviously the uh, the rise of Will Smith and obviously Walker Bueller getting experience, things like that have made our ball club that much better. So this is a very this is good of a group and as focused as a group as we've had. Hey Dave, this is Ben Davis. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about. I know you you know playoffs are inevitable for the Dodgers this season, and as you approach it, I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But as you prepare for the playoffs, is there anything that you're going to maybe do a little bit differently than you have in years past? You know, when you have a group of guys that it, 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 it's a little bit, it certainly helps when you have guys that have been through this as far as getting to the postseason. And so now when we do have conversations about what, whatever decision I make, the organization decides to make, it's to win 11 games in October. So I think that the conversation as far as workload or rest things like that and kind of matchups and seeing what guys can potentially do to prepare us. They're easier. They come with a lot less resistance. Um, but obviously the, the main goal is to keep them focused on each day. But I think it is the elephant in the room where we understand that we're going to go to the postseason and how can we best prepare for that? Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's elaborate a little bit about how you're going to prepare for the postseason because uh, this is another year where you guys have seemingly run away with the division. And I was actually reading uh, yesterday, Clayton Kershaw got an extra day's rest. And I know from the past, of having played with Clayton Kershaw, that wasn't something that he was necessarily open to. But he seems much more open to that now. Is that kind of the sentiment of all of the players now that they've been through these runs a little bit? That, as you said, they're, they're just a little bit more willing and open to, to these suggestions. Yeah, and I think that that's that's right. Yeah, and and you know Clayton, and and you know how uh, he, uh, like most players and most pitchers, like their routine and and uh, like that every fifth day start. But I think that you know getting some rest once in a while to get a blow, I think is not necessarily a bad thing, and that was indicative last night. Um, but the main thing is though is that Clayton is bought into understanding what we need to do and to. You know, the, the whole team, whether it's giving Walker an extra day, Hunjin an extra day, all that stuff. And so for his buy-in, certainly goes a long way for all of us. But um, you want to stay focused on the day-to-day. But the most important thing is going to be winning 11 games in October. You know, Dave, you have, you have such a, a good lineup. And stacking these guys, are, do you really look at the matchups or it's just how you think a, a lineup is rolling? If a, if a lineup is just rolling, do you really not – maybe not look at the matchups as much and just say, you know what, these guys are in such a groove right now. I'm just going to let them go with it. No, I, I look at it every day, Ben. And, and I think that it's funny is, you know, it come 
looking back four years ago where you're kind of constructing your lineup to give your team the best chance to win that particular game. And it came with a lot of resistance. And it's funny how the league is starting to kind of follow that trend. And, um, and I think it's the right thing to do. And um, so the, the main thing is you got to get your players to understand that if you hit second one day and you hit fifth the next day, it's not going to affect you in the batter's box. And so the culture that we've created, um, our guys understand that. And that flexibility or buy-in from the players has allowed us to kind of really maximize our potential. So, yeah, every day you're looking at the starting pitcher, the beat the starter mentality, the prepare for the bullpen and matchups and guys you have off the bench to potentially get a matchup in the middle of the game or the end of the game. So all that stuff, yeah, I think about every day. Dave, one more question before we let you get out of here. You know, we've talked a lot about Cody Bellinger this year, and it seems like every every rookie you guys bring up, we seem seemingly ha talk a lot about him. But one veteran we're not talking a lot about, and, and he's having a good year, is, is Justin Turner. Uh, talk a little bit about what he does to stabilize uh, this ball club. Yeah, and I and I and, and thank you for for mentioning Justin. And he's a guy that doesn't look to get any kind of attention. He's a grinder. Uh, obviously, a college baseball player from Fullerton. Um, he was, I think, he was DFA or non-tendered. We pick him up, and now he, he's one of the premier third basemen in baseball. He's an all-star, and just the at-bat quality that he gives it just transcends, resonates throughout our lineup every single day. The guy plays defense. I, I can move him around the order, and he doesn't complain. He's accountable. So, you know, if you're talking about trying to drop a leader uh, who holds himself to a high standard and really not afraid to challenge his teammates or myself, you know, uh, Justin is that guy, and I, I kind of joke with him. He's the glue of this whole operation. Well, Dave, uh, we know you got to get on, get prepared for this game in a few hours. We certainly appreciate your time, and good luck the rest of the way, Doc. Thanks so much, Dave. We appreciate it. All right, Ben. Tony, thanks for having me. Well, that'll do it for the latest edition of Big Time Baseball Players Edition here on Radio.com Sports. It's presented by Radio.com Sports, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can also find it on Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, I'm Ben Davis alongside Tony Quinn Jr. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.